Young and Lazy are a brand new clothing brand aimed to bridge the gap between entrepreneurship and the next generation of crypto specialists, gamers and footballers. The type to monetize their personal brand, compete in tournaments and invest in NFTs. If you're interested in any of those fields, the handle is at youngandlazy underscore on both Twitter and Instagram. The ambassadors they have on are next level and the collector's edition hoodie will be dropping on the 10th of December. Tag me in your stories or mention me when making a purchase and you'll receive 10% off. Thanks for sponsoring this podcast. YEN, otherwise known as the Young Entrepreneurs Network, is a community and support network for businessmen and businesswomen that provides you with all the necessities that you need to move forward as an aspiring startup entrepreneur, especially in Scotland or in the UK. YEN's aim is to change lives and businesses through the scope of high-performing environments and a serious obsession with personal and business development. The founder, John Hamilton, who's based in Glasgow, great guy, has created this company from scratch and now has members all across the UK. You need to find them on at YEN Networking on Instagram and John Hamilton on LinkedIn. Mention Development by David for a free business workshop with one of their experts. Gregor Mackay, welcome to the show, my friend. How's How it are going, you? mate? I'm good. How are you? Amazing. Amazing. You must be so used to being behind the camera. Is this a new setup for you? Have you done a podcast before? Uh, I've done a couple podcasts before, but I've never done it where it's been filmed as well. So I'm very um, aware of how I'm sitting and, and looking at the minute, you know. I'm kind of glad I'm not aware of that. I don't know the intricacies of being behind the camera. So now that you've pointed it out, I think I'm going to be a bit more nervous for this this podcast. For the listener's sake, who is Gregor Mackay today in 2021? Uh, Craig Mackay is um, a self-proclaimed funny man. Um, he's also a bit of an ass. <laughs> uh, no, I'm joking. No, I'm a comedian, writer, sketch writer. Um, do a bit of teaching as well. Do a bit of the old acting, a bit of the old music. It's kind of broad. But I guess TikToker is the is the is the thing that most people might maybe who who watch my stuff would would say. Uh, so I yeah I do I do a bit of everything that's what I'd say mate um, you're, you're more than just a self-proclaimed funny man I think you're bloody hilarious as well and you spoke about TikTok a little bit in your username there and on Instagram is Wee Mackay do you think Wee Mackay and Gregor Mackay are mutually exclusive different people uh, yeah yeah to an extent absolutely um, well Wee Mackay is an interesting story because I actually stole that name from older brother <laughs> so it was his Xbox username for years. It so was, now he's Big Mackay. He's Big Mackay. Um, but yeah, I started. I don't. I don't know when I adopted the name. Um, I just thought it was a funny name, uh, and I didn't want to be called Greg Mackay on social media because I just didn't really. It was more characters and skits that I was doing and creating little people, and I thought, oh, I need a bit of an alter ego for it. So, um, so yeah, they are different people, definitely. And now that you do your skits, do you find more comfort almost being these characters or embracing those characters instead of embracing the name Gregor Mackay or embracing yourself? Do you feel more comfortable doing that? Just in the same way that Jim Carrey speaks about being more comfortable being Andy Kaufman when he did Man on the Moon. Do you almost kind of empathise and feel like that? Uh, sometimes, yeah. Actually, that's a really good question. Um, there are some, like f f a lot of the concepts for some of the characters more so for the live show stuff um they come from real things that i've seen or encountered 
So all I'm doing is heightening those and making them a bit more abstract or absurd. Um, so yeah, there are some things that I'll do. Like I've got this like uh, a character, like a raver character. Um, and it's just a real heightened version of like a standard night out. But it's so fun to like explore that and, and kind of have fun with it in your own head. Because um, if I carried myself like that nine times out of ten, it would be fucking wild. But um, so it's fun to have those characters that you can just kind of put some of the madder thoughts that I've got out in public without feeling like people are like, oh, that guy's a weirdo. That's oh, just a character being a weirdo, you know? So um, do you think people are equally surprised when they meet you in real life and you're just this normal guy like the rest of us? Or do, th do you think they expect you to be a similar version of one of the characters that you play on TikTok or in your sketch shows? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, it's... Um, it depends on how much they know about you, I think. There are some people who might have only seen one thing and they'll come over and they'll be like, oh, you're the, you're the, like, you're the gravy in my shoe guy or whatever. <laughs> so instantly I know they know nothing about me. So, you know, it's, um, I'm just to them that one video. There'll be other people who know a lot about you. So that's always interesting because they will maybe highlight, oh, you're a bit, I thought you'd be like a bit more wild than this. Than in reality but i'm like well i'm not gonna be because because usually for videos i'm like it's full it's full throttle um you're not gonna be like that in your normal in your normal life when you're your pals having a paint um i do try when i meet people particularly younger people because i got a lot of like younger like fans and stuff it's weird even saying that but a lot of younger folk who watch my videos um and for them i do try and be like a bit more like giddy and stuff when i meet them um because i know that they like that so it's, you know, it's just kind of, it's part of the, the package. And you've amassed over 100,000 followers on TikTok. That's like yeah. the amount of people that I could imagine the Faroe Islands having. I don't know their population, but that's a serious amount of people, especially when I consider that my hometown's, what, 7,000. How does it feel, like you touched on there, how does it feel that so many people know your stories, probably a lot of facets of your life, in the thousands but you don't even know they exist is that quite a weird concept to get your head around i always ask podcast guests with large followings that question and i i think they are always taken aback by it yeah yeah man it is weird and there's some moments that highlight that like um i had a a, a boy who came to one of the shows the other day um he come all the way from dumfries to glasgow to see it on a school night for him and he come with his granny and stuff and it was it's just it was nice chatting to like you know having a wee uh, chat with him after it and stuff and and finding out about he how he liked the stuff and, and all that and you never you never think that's gonna happen you just never think about it you just I, I don't really think about it when I post videos or whatever I never think of who's watching it and I do um it's quite mad but I sometimes do cameos do you know what they are is it the app that where you yeah you do like personalized messages and stuff I just did, I, I did it for a laugh right and um I sometimes get like Americans and stuff who watch the content and they get you to do them. And that's always weird when you realize that there's folk over in America that likes like watch the content and stuff. And, um, it's a weird thing, but I think it's more about if, if you feel like you've been true to yourself about the way you're conducting it and, and whatnot, then it's usually like a nice response you get when you see folk, they aren't like let down by it or. What I also found interesting was the fact that you said, some of your sketch sketches are hyperbolic, caffeinated versions of real life characters of things that you've seen yeah. occur. 
So when you're out in a social setting, or even in this podcast, we spoke about some funny stories before we started recording. Do you feel like you sometimes aren't present in the moment because your mind's gearing towards content creation and future sketches? All the time, mate. All the time. It's not not even that I'm thinking about sketches. I just have such a wandering uh, mind, if that's the way to put it. (laughs) I, I sometimes think I'm probably like... I should maybe get this looked at, but um, I'll, I'll be really engaged in a conversation, but in my head, I'm thinking about a baby bell on the end of a string. Do you know what I mean? And that's just because I'm thinking about a baby bell now, but it's stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? And and I'm a very anxious person. Um, I'm also a very loud person. But, well, loud, loud in my own way. I'm quite, um, I'm very chatty. I really like being around people. But when you mix that with like being quite anxious, it's a pure weird mix, man. So I'll, I'll, I'll like sit, like if we talk like a social situation, if I'm out for pints, right, my mate will be talking to me about something that's happened that week. But for me, I'm I'm concerned about that girl that's just bought five drinks, but she's got two hands <laughs> and she's walking past our table. And I'm like, oh, fuck, she's going to drop that. And, and I'll, I'll seen it, but I haven't got up to go over and preempt this horrible thing that's about to occur from happening. So... <laughs> it's this but that but i've i realized that quite early on that i'm like that and i realized some of that's really funny so uh, there is a lot of sketches that, that just i kind of highlight those thoughts that I have but intensify them um and make them more like caffeinated as we said you know like on yeah aye, a bit weirder it's strange that you describe yourself as anxious when i saw you on stage at the orin more with i don't know how many people in the audience like you wouldn't put stage performing and being anxious together like from the outside in i wouldn't presume that you're anxious yeah do you think doing comedy and doing performances do you think that's almost like a either a coping mechanism or a, yeah, a deflection a deflection because of course on your sets as well and your sketches you play characters do you think using com- do you think comedy is used as a deflection from attention to your true self onto these characters almost i think performing in general I started out in acting, so I, I that's what I studied. Um, and I always found from a young age that being on stage and in whatever capacity, whether it was like playing an instrument or um, performing or having a laugh, I felt more at ease. Because I think there's something about when I, when I know I'm in control of seeing people looking at me, then I can really, I can be daft. But if I feel like I don't know when somebody's looking at me or not, it is more daunting. Um, cause you don't know if you have to be like, uh, like fully aware or not, or, you know, does that make sense? No, that's really interesting because we spoke about how there's cameras rolling here, right? Yeah. We can't control the people behind the cameras watching this at the moment, but if we were live in an audience, we could, um, play off it. we could, we could play off of it. Yeah. So when you amass over a hundred thousand TikTok followers, you can't control their reactions to your content in the way that you could if you had an arena of a hundred thousand yeah, people. Really so yeah. how do you manage that? Have you thought about it too much? Uh, what is that? Is that are we kind of venturing onto the the side of well the, the reaction whether it's positive or negative? Yeah, you well, can, you can't control that. No, nah, you can't. You, can you can't. And and I think that brings me back. Well, I haven't said it yet, but comedy is subjective, and ultimately. You can't, what one person finds funny, another person might think is the worst thing they've ever seen, right? Now, I can't control whether or not that person who thinks it's the worst thing they've ever seen is just going to keep that comment to themselves or if they're going to let me know that it's the worst thing that they've ever seen. So I have to find this mutual ground where 
I accept that that's an opinion and that, that they're entitled to that and it may well be the worst. I might even think that that particular sketch was one of the fucking worst things I've ever done, right? Because I've got a lot of that. I've got a lot of regret. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's like finding that mutual ground of being like, well, you tried, you tested it, you keep going. And that's their opinion. you got to let them have it. So he, as, as much as it might be a, like a shit thing to say to somebody, like you just got to roll with it. Yeah, I guess the difference between in-person performances and TikTok creation is that there's a less of a gap between you, the, the adaptation of your content. So you, for example, on TikTok, it would take a day or so for you to get all the comments in, understand the themes and then adapt to what the audiences want or what the audience wants. Whereas you can do that in person when performing, if that makes sense. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I actually, you know, it's just funny. You see, if you told me that a couple of years ago, I would have totally agreed with you. And I would have been like, yeah, yeah, man, totally got to adapt to uh, what's current and what's interesting. But see, honestly, see, the more I've been doing this now, um, I've kind of got to a point now where I'm like, you see, if I enjoy it, and this sounds, this sounds like like a bit like cliche or whatever. If I if I'm not finding it funny, I shouldn't do it. First of all, if if I've done a sketch and I don't find it funny, I won't do it. So I've got to this point now where it is, if I find it funny, the chances are somebody else will. And I kind of just have to like roll with that because I've, I've, I would, I would say now, like particularly for live shows, there was a point where I think it just felt like a couple of guys doing skits. Whereas now it feels like, ah, there's personalities coming out when they're doing it. And it's comfortability through knowing that you've seen it work. And now you can just keep working on that aspect of it, that you know that it works and you know that some of it's funny. So build on that and build on that image that you're trying to create rather than at each given moment, please to certain individuals or, or whatnot. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think I've heard that from other co comedians before that they tried initially to adapt to the audiences and what's relevant in pop culture, but then they lose the funniness from that because they're not presenting a message that one, they find funny and two, they actually care about. And when you mentioned that comedy is subjective, do you think you enjoy TikTok almost because you can put a metric on how funny something is via the amount of comments and links it gets, whereas you couldn't really get that same amount of measurement uh, from performances or uh, other mediums? Yeah. I, I, I mean, well, yeah, in a way, it's, it's weird. Because that kind of brings me algorithm. And sometimes a sketch will do really, really well on the algorithm. And it gets loads of likes and, and you know, loads of comments and stuff. And I'll look at that piece of material that I've done. I'm like, it's fucking shite. <laughs> I did that in two minutes when I was hungover. And I never thought it would have got the sort of, you know, feedback that it's got. So I don't, I don't measure it in the same where... I've really focused on a piece of content. Like for, for days I've been like trying to build up a wee script for it and I put it out and, and the interaction that it gets is not very great. So I don't really measure like, I might've gone off on a tangent here, but I don't really measure like the success of it by just how many views or how many likes or whatever it's got. But it is, it's a very, cause over lockdown, that's all you had. There was yeah. no live shows. So in comparison, there is, there is nothing though quite the same as being in a room full of people and getting them laughing at something or not. You, you notice it more if something's not funny. 
live than if you post this. Because in a sketch, I could just say, ah, oh, it didn't get on the algorithm. Or, oh, it didn't. <laughs> you know, I, I've got that excuse, right? Whereas live, if somebody doesn't laugh at a joke that I wanted them to laugh at, it's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And I'll think about that for the rest of the show. But like, oh, maybe it just, maybe it was the wrong audience tonight or maybe it was, you know, so. Have you had any horror stories was performing live? Live? Uh, define the word horror. Do you mean like regret? Like things Re- I, I wish Regret, hecklers, anything of the sort, really. Yeah, I've had a couple of hecklers. Hecklers, are, you know, it's quite hard to actually heckle us because we've got guitars with three guys in tracksuits. A lot of people just kind of don't want to do that. <laughs> but um, no, I've had a few hecklers and that can be quite hard with sketch material because if you try and divert from the skit and then start interacting with the heckler, you lose your placement and it can make the whole thing kind of go fucking nuts. Um so usually I just we use like might say one or two things, but uh doesn't heckling doesn't happen too much. But have seen some mad stuff happen during live shows. Had that we, we do fringe like most years. And um we were like halfway through the run and it was like a Thursday night or something, and some guy has just wandered like behind the wings. So you've got you've got the stage and then you've got the wings. We're all like we we were like waiting for each skit. I just seen some guy. Just walk past me. He's like, excuse me, mate, do you know where the toilet is? <laughs> and I'm like about to fucking run on for this sketch. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you should have brought one, stage. Well, I was, <laughs> I was that kind of way where it's like, do you want me to fucking wipe your ass and all? <laughs> and it was, it was really weird, man. And, and I was, I was just, I loved the boldness though, where it's like, he's been watching me for the first half an hour and he's thought, I'm going to ask that guy where the toilet is, you know, because he's not busy. He'll, he'll let me know. Um, so I kind of papped him off to the tech who was standing there. It was wild, man. But I've had some stories, because a lot of, we get a lot of like people who are quite drunk when they come in. It's the nature of the kind of weird stuff we do, but it's kind of that. You spoke about how some of the more complicated material that you prepare for doesn't do as well as the kind of two-minute, three-minute slapdash stuff that you create off the, off the cuff. Do you think it's because that type of material is more universal and there's... it's lending itself to more people because the example I use in in terms of the podcast, I've done like really intrinsic, not intrinsic, really technical podcasts on the neuroscience behind meditation. And I found that so, so interesting. And it was my, one of my favorite podcasts, but in terms of numbers, it doesn't sit in the top five to six stories like Jay, Jay Carrigan McFarlane, who came on, who's got this very explosive, widely appealing story that did more well, although provided, arguably less value subjectively to the to the audience member so do you do you almost feel like it's the universal content that can touch every life that booms more than something that's really intricate and funny because of certain intricacies Uh, i mean i guess so yeah but again i try not to overthink it because i don't make a sketch to think this is going to be a banger I don't write. A, I don't write a sketch to think that this is gonna blow up, because if you anticipate something, and it doesn't happen, you what you're doing it for? Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so for me, I really, I have tried. I, I did do that. I used to do that a lot. I used to think I'll write this and it'll do really well, and then I get gutted that it didn't. And I, I realized how wrong that was, and I, I shouldn't think like that. And for me, uh, I just feel, I kind of feel like 
moving forward, where it kind of took me was as long as as long as you you like it. Do you know what I mean? As long as you think it's all right, it doesn't really matter what the outcome will be. So do you still have fun with it all? Um, what with TikTok? Yeah, and, and specifically TikTok. Just you see, because I'm busy at the minute, because now the live stuff is back. I'm, it's not as uh, I'm not as driven for it as I was before. Um, and I think because we've obviously got our we've got other social medias and stuff that are boosting content. Uh, and I think because of that, it's taken away some of the fun for me. Um, whereas because over lockdown, I was so focused on because that was all I really had. I couldn't go do live stuff. I couldn't um, do a lot of the stuff I wanted to do. So I focused all that creativity onto the one thing. Uh, and I didn't actually quite realize that until I was done, how long some of that stuff took. Um, and I just don't have the time for it right now, which is a fucking great thing. But also you need to keep the online stuff going to, to help with the live shows and to help everything else kind of fall in place. Was the TikTok account the catalyst to the large audience that you do have and the large venues that you do have? Is it solely reliant on the TikTok following? Because I was really naive to think that you didn't have a performing background i thought you were just this tiktok star because <laughs> you, you liked one of my things on instagram yeah, and, yeah. No, sorry tiktok and commented on i found your page and came across your content but i was so na- naive to believe that just a no it's star. so fair man i think that's so do you think you do you think that one the tiktok was the catalyst to that and two how do you manage people presuming that that's your background just tiktok um well I that uh, so let's start. So what was the first part of that question? Just so I don't. What was know. the catalyst of the live shows and the audience and the, the large crowd right. that, that goes to that? Is is that catalyzed by? I mean, it varies every time. Like, I mean, we'll do some shows that barely got thirty people in the audience. Now the other shows you've got like 130, 140. and then you'll do shows like support shows. Um, like we we're doing a bit of supporting for Gary Miko at the minute, and we'll turn up and well, the Alhambra a couple of weeks ago it was eight hundred about 800 folk there um so and it is nice when you get it is really nice that like in Aberdeen the other week I had someone come up who was telling me that they've watched me from like the start and all that and it's maybe not it's maybe not the catalyst because we 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 had we had quite a lot of online success on Facebook and stuff before um but it's definitely been an eye-opener as to just how you can really help something grow because I think in that sense, without doing the TikTok stuff, I, I wouldn't have had the opportunities that we've got right now. I would have fizzled out over a lot that had I not been keeping myself like in the comedy scene, I wouldn't probably wouldn't have had the opportunities that some of the opportunities that I've had now. And it's the same with the boys. It's the same with the Ouija stuff. If we hadn't tried to keep that going, I don't think we'd be as fortunate as we are at the minute. So it's it's definitely been a huge, huge help. Social media has its blessings at the time. And true development by David Style. I need to get back to where you first started performing. Yeah. When did you fall in love with it? Uh, oh, man. If you could even call it falling in love. I was like uh, five or six. Um, Standard nativity. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I think I was like angel number two or something. And I don't, I don't really remember much of the show, but I just remember like being on stage and, and like seeing like family, like out. And I just remember turning to my pal, just smiling and I just thought it was the coolest thing ever <laughs> that like we were in front of this many people. And that, and and it kind of, 
guess that's not where it stemmed from, but I, I just knew I was comfortable. Uh, maybe not from the age of six, but I just remember that being like a bit of a moment. And as I got older, uh, when I was maybe nine or 10, I did a school show and they gave me like the funny part. Um, I played Fred the Fox in Zoom, which was this story about uh, this, tur- this turtle who's really, really slow, but he wants to enter this race and he's going up against rabbits and, and all kinds of things that are, are much faster than him, but it's a really, really long race and slow and steady wins the race. So it's all about that and it's all about like, don't judge like a book by its cover or whatever. And uh, so I just described a children's uh, show. <laughs> to it's obviously got a very special place in my heart, but yeah, I did that. I did that show and um, there was something about people laughing that I just, it was like a drug. Like as soon as I got that first laugh, I was like, whoa, that's so cool. I made somebody laugh there and I would do, and 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 cause I was so young, I was doing stuff like that. Like making all kinds of faces just to try and make people laugh. And I've never really lost that. Um, and it's something I, I, it just does something for me. I just really like it. I really like making people laugh. Um, and that then led me into when I got older, I was like, I really want to be uh, an actor. I really want to go into acting and went and studied it. Um, and then fell in love with like the serious stuff. Love doing that. Um, but again, yeah, comedy just always found its way back. Um, and that's, I started writing. Because um, the one thing I would always say is, see folk who turn around like, I want to be an actor, I want to do this, that. Amazing, fantastic, go for it. But always, if you can, try and do more than one thing. Like, I, would, I, would, I, would, I wouldn't call myself an actor. I'm sure everyone I know wouldn't call me that either. I do loads of stuff. I love the writing. I love, um, if I can making stupid wee songs up with it as well. I would just call myself a creative more than anything. Um, I just like to create stuff. Why would you give that advice to spread the load across multiple domains? You're doubling your chances, aren't you? So everything that within your industry that you you can do, that's another potential for you to get work. Uh, and I think that's super important to hold on to that um, thought of like, don't don't limit yourself in a, in a industry where there's already, it's already so hard to get work like you you spread your wings as much as you can do you know what i mean do you think that's what funneled you into doing sketch shows as opposed to stand-up comedy because that market's so saturated and you have such superstardom coming from scotland for example billy conley frankie boyle kevin bridges do you feel like that that market was so saturated so you pivoted your skills to sketch comedy because you can write and you can perform do you think that was a catalyst or the um the influence to doing that opposed to doing traditional stand-up. She felt like the right thing. I mean, I never, like, I'm now at a point where I want to try stand-up and I think that seems like the next, one of the next things that's going to come in the next year or so. We'll, we'll see what happens. But um, originally, yeah, I, I, I guess because I came from a performance background that having characters to rely on and, and stuff, it was the way to do it. And I had these stupid wee thoughts and I never, and it's why I think I, um, always related so much more with like Lemmy and Berniston and stuff growing up than I ever really did with like Billy Connolly and all the others. Cause I love the the character side of things and as much as I love Billy Connolly and, and all the others and Frankie Boyle and stuff. I just always was more interested in scenes, um, scenarios or, or things play out. Do you think there's more leeway or there's more, there's, 
a greater ability to be creative when you're doing something like sketch shows because you can rely on characters and different personas whereas when you go on stage as a stand-up comedian you are you and you present your thoughts in a funny way or your opinions in a funny way or the opinions of others in a funny way do you think it was because there's a greater realm of opportunity within sketch to go down different avenues in the same way that a documentary is very selective in comparison to Game of Thrones where they can have ancestry and they can have um, dragons and do you know what I mean? Like, do you think it was more expansive for you to do sketch than it was to be a, a comedian? Uh, it's just a completely different skill set. Um, comedians, I take my hat off to them because, and we work with a lot of these guys that we do gigs at the stand and stuff and uh, you see them get to it and you, there's a, there is a, I always think there's more vulnerability to that. Because it is, you know, nine times out of ten, they're being themselves and they're giving their stories. And, and it does lend yourself more to things like heckling and a bit more analysis on the individual and, and whatnot. Um, so it is, it's a different skill set. It, it, it totally is. Um, whereas I think with the sketch stuff, I can have like a bit more, for me anyway, because I, I know that I'm sure... I can't talk on behalf of a like stand up because I'm because I'm I'm technically not one. So I think yeah, it's just um I feel more range because I can do stuff like take a guitar out halfway through and <laughs> do like a stupid wee song about like gravy in my shoe. Or, uh, you know, like, <laughs> I can do weird weird shit like that. And as I said, like I'm I, I think I'm I think I'm funny, right? I do. I think I'm funny, but. I pure do mad. Like, I do mad stuff and I'm fully aware of that. That some of it is like really weird. Um and I can get away with that in a sketch show. I don't I don't know how that might portray if it's just me standing up trying to do that stuff, you know? So it lent so sketches lended itself really nicely to me. Cause I found that I can pretty much do whatever I want with my ideas with it. And do you think um traditional education I know you went through like the, the performance you study performance or is it called performance arts is that what it's uh, called? i just yeah acting yeah acting so you studied that at a college then university yeah did that education system promote that kind of comedy and stand-up and not stand-up sketch shows that you do or was it a very rigor um educational process um i, I think they were very supportive yeah yeah i mean yeah i mean it i think ultimately everyone just wants wants you to succeed don't they when you're training or whatever and, and i think yourself you don't really know what you want then um i think they they're doing their job when they question you right and that's the one thing that my lecturers are really good at they would always question you on it they'd be like why do you want to do that you know and it wasn't so much that they didn't want you to do it it was more that i could tell that it was important for it was important for me and i didn't realize that at the time that being told maybe that wouldn't work is actually a really good thing because it makes you want to do it more. And subconsciously, I think maybe that's why they do it. Um, yeah, because we, we, we uh, ended up doing... So, so at the end of uni, you, you go on and you do Fringe, right? And uh, everyone was doing plays and, like, well-known pieces. And I had the genius of the idea of turning around and be like, nah, fuck that, I'm going to do my own show. And it's going to be the way I want it to be done with three other guys who want to do the same thing. Um, and I'm not going to write a play. I'm going to write a sketch show. And we're going to put songs in it because we all play instruments and it'll be a laugh. And the f I, I never realized just how big a thing that, like how, how like, uh, 
hard thing that was. Like that was quite ballsy. Like turn around after having no experience in that before, hadn't really written any comedy before to then think that you can go and do that. Um, I remember we booked our first show for Glasgow before we did Fringe that year, and had all my family. It was all like friends and family that came, and I shot myself because <laughs> we sold like a hundred and ten tickets, and I fucking shot myself. Right, like ten minutes before we went on, I, I seen like the whole place filling up. And I had Dave and I don't know if you know who Dave Anderson is. No, no. Um, no. he was in a TV show called City Lights, and he was in Gregory's Girl. Um, he played the dad in that. Uh, he was very well known in his own right in Scottish comedy, and he's a big actor in musical theatre and all sorts. Does everything. Um, I asked him to be in it because I'd worked with him on something else, and he actually said yes. So I also had the pressure of knowing that I've got this like very successful individual taking a risk on trying to be in this uh, production that this thing that I've put on and all, all of it hit me at once. And I was like, am I too, am I in too deep? Am I, am I going to fuck this? It's going to be the most unfunniest thing ever. And how did it go? We went amazing. <laughs> but I don't think if I hadn't booked that and I hadn't put pressure on to try and sell it and to try and do all that, I never, I never would have learnt like, hey, you, you can do it, you can do your own shit. Because I think there's a there's a, a reliance on young performers where I think you, you rely too much on agents or on um, castings or whatever to get seen or to be like really good and, and to get picked up for jobs that way. I think sometimes it can be difficult for, for young performers to think that actually like, you can't fucking go and just do it on your own. And when I think of the tradition, what I, from the outside and not being in the industry, how I would usually see the route to entry would be the route that you went down, like study acting. It's the classic way, isn't it? But now with like TikTok um, catalyzing things over lockdown, do you think that is perhaps a lesser common approach into the industry now or, or do you think it still is prominent that way? Can you be as disruptive through social media? It's interesting. I, I spoke, um, I was speaking about this to someone the other week. And it's, it depends what you, well, that platform covers so many different things, doesn't it? You've got people on there who are doing stupid wee dances. You've got people on there who, who, who are very, very beautiful and are on there to, to be very beautiful. Thanks, Gregor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got, you know, you've got all that. And then you've got, um, you know, you've got people who are career, like, you know, they've, they're creatives and they're coming on to, to give you what they do and, as you when you were saying to me earlier about, oh, I thought you were a TikToker. There's a lot of folk on there like that who you would think that's what they are, but actually they've been crafting that for years, and they've just they're just utilizing this to grow their brand. Um, so what was the question? I got lost. Do you think you can enter the industry through that route opposed to going through acting school and I, stuff like that? Yeah, I think you can. I think you can, um, because like with comedy, you can go study that at uni and stuff, but you don't need to do that. I mean, I never studied comedy, so there might be a lot of people that are like, why are you doing comedy clubs? You never. But then I don't think it's about that. I think it's about how you hone it to the best of your ability. Because you'll never be better. This is the thing I've, I'm really trying to teach myself. You'll never be as good as somebody else, right? There's always going to be somebody who's fucking funnier than me. There's always going to be somebody who's doing it better than me. But it doesn't mean I can't do it. So as long as I can find a way to make it work for me, that's all that really... Talent can only take you so far, right? One thing that's rarer than talent is commitment. And I've seen you during lockdown post so frequently 
Um, and I, I think that's a, a rare trait. And I guess going to school to study acting is a safer space because your critics are perhaps experts, whereas your critics on TikTok are Sweet guys. armchair philosophers or armchair critics. Oh, yeah. Have you had any hate or any bad experiences? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Loads, yeah. loads. Well, way more positive than negative, but you, you remember the negative over the positive. That's just kind of the, that's how the cookie crumbles, so to speak. But, um, yeah, I, I think at first I kind of not struggled with it, but I was definitely like, oh man, that's a bit shit. Like that's an insecurity I wasn't aware that I had at the time. Uh, but I've started to use some of that stuff as material now. Like the classic one was, uh, I had to credit him for it, man. Cause it was too funny. Is <laughs> a guy who commented on one of my videos. He's like, oh, listen, this guy is like heat of lockdown. So this, this is important. This guy was like, um, this guy, this wee Mackay man, he fucking hell, he takes social distancing really seriously. Even his eyes are two meters apart. It's like, fucking hell, man. And then somebody went, somebody said, oh, and his, his teeth, one of them's away to the shop for milk and the other one's waiting at home because <laughs> I've got a gap in my teeth. Um, and it was just like, things I had, and then, and then there's the other one that's just like, where's his nose? It's like, right, fuck off, right? I see what's happened here. Um, and it's funny, right? And, and you're, you're laughing there, right? And that's good. But that took me a wee minute to like kind of warm up to that and, and actually find that I can use that as a positive thing. If I focus too much on that and was like, oh, fuck, he's right. Maybe I should go get that checked out. <laughs> Maybe I should get those eyes like squished together. Um, if I if I did take that approach, I wouldn't be able to do any of this stuff. So I've got I've got to embrace it. Because at the end of the day, like, that's just the nature of it. The, the ones I actually find harder are when people are like, this is the unfunniest shit I've ever seen. Or, or when they think they know you. Or when, when they think they know you and they're like, mate, you should give up. Like, give up. Like, you're trying too hard. And like, that, that sort of stuff annoys me too. Trying too hard. Yeah. Is that even a thing? Can't you, I don't think you can try too hard. Like, I think that's more of a compliment than a, a derogatory I statement. Right? I don't know, man. It's like people always, it's, it's, it's almost like they're trying to be your mate. And say, yeah. listen, like you, you've tried it. It's not working. You can give up now. That sort of thing does annoy me. Um, I've only got like a little brief experience on TikTok, but my last podcast got a little bit of, not criticism, the podcast didn't get criticism, but the guest did. But I was getting comments such as, did you ask him about this facet? I, I bet you didn't. And I'm like, you've only watched 30 seconds of a hour plus conversation where you, if you watch that, you would see that the guest is virtuous and a great human being, but you've looked at a selective 30, 30 second clip and use prefer, preferential attachment by looking at the other comments to create this narrative and story and archetype of this person in this video. And you don't know his whole story. And the funny thing is, mate, I didn't invite you to that conversation. That conversation happened between me and him. So if you paid attention to the full thing, then you would understand that this guy, this guy's virtuous and he's great. So do you think people make like really short, sharp assumptions of you based on those yeah. 30 seconds? Yeah, I've had people tell me. Really? Assumptions that, yeah, yeah, I've met some people before who've told me. I, I met a guy and he was really nice. Uh, but I met a guy who told me that he didn't get it and that he really didn't get it and that he... He couldn't understand the hype behind some of it. Um, and he thought that doing that, because I do a lot of like Scottish interpretations of movies and stuff. And he, he kind of said um, he felt like I was almost exploiting 
like um like some of the some of the patter. I was like, I don't know what you I didn't I didn't I still to be honest, I'm saying that now, I still don't quite know what to make of it. But I think my reaction to it at the time was something like, Listen man, I do more than just that. I'm not limited to just that one thing. That's just maybe the one thing that does very well. But I do lots of other stuff. But so I I don't actually appreciate it if that's you know if that's the opinion that you've got because it, it extends beyond that. Um, sure, you might feel that about that one thing, but why not? Why don't you watch this? You might have a different opinion. So, but I'm not there to do that. That's not my job. My job isn't to tell him go watch my other stuff. It's not up to me to do that. It's up to him if he wants to do it. So I just have to kind of deal with with the response that's given me if i don't let it affect me then that's all i can really do you know i did the same with that tiktok i didn't like i said they wouldn't invite you to the conversation so i didn't involve them in it but one thing that i would be scared of not scared of but wary of or cautious of or cognizant about as an entertainer is do people love me for who i am or what i do have you ever asked yourself that? Like, why do people gravitate towards you for what you do or who you are as a person? Well, I think that's why I do the whole Wee Mackay character. Because I don't have to think too deep about it because I know that's the character and then there's me. Um, So I don't have to... I know why they like that stuff. But I guess I don't have to keep that... That doesn't have to be too personal for me, I think. But what is important, though, and... and, and kind of coming off of that is that applies to me more with like the people I surround myself with I I I every I'm a very emotional guy right and it does matter to me what my family my friends think or like previous relationships and all that stuff all that is very important so I say I say it doesn't bother me when like a random on the internet says I'm not funny right but you see if that's like your brother or your pal it hits different, man. It does, it does, because you, cause you kind of, they're your support network, right? So that's something I've had to try and deal with, which was just to find, like, a way of um, actually also taking myself out of that and being like, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm different from what they're seeing. So when they say they don't find that funny, it doesn't mean they don't like me. It just means it's not for them. And I need to, I need to be all right with that, you know? Do you feel like when you, as you have pr- propelled yourself into your work more, do you feel like people who don't perhaps sit in that performing realm, do you feel like your inner circle has drastically decreased over time? Because the kind of traditional archetype of someone from Scotland is a, or a male from Scotland is into sports and into um, drinking at the weekend, all that, all that good stuff. I still I, do that, all that, that, that stuff. Which I do as well. <laughs> but if like there were certain labels and yeah. att- attachments added to performing growing up, yeah. it, was, it wasn't macho, it wasn't, um, the kind of traditional arch- archetype of a young man. Yeah. As you have embraced that growing up, do you feel like your wider inner circle has kind of diminished? I... Because I've found that with this podcast, I guess. Um, as I speak to more guests and become more of a complex character from learning from all these people, my interests and tastes have drastically minimized. And I've noticed that my friends mm-hmm. have That's age done as well, isn't it? That yeah. happens. I feel... Do you feel like as you've leaned into performing arts even further that your inner circle has decreased? Not, not, if anything, mate, it grew bigger because the scene in Scotland is quite small. So 
you just meet so many amazing people through it that I actually found that I had more mates and stuff. But but what, what well, okay. Taking it back a step, what I would say is, that, yeah, definitely there are people I know I don't see anymore because of change and, and, and what they're doing and what I'm doing or whatever. Um, but I have always felt like if there's company that I've wanted to keep, I'll try and keep it. Um, I don't think like performing, I don't think like performing or anything has ever really got in the way of that. I think there's some people who don't understand it. And my conversations with them might, might be a little less, like I can't really talk about some of this stuff, you know? Um, and it's why it is nice for me when I'm with those kind of people, when, when they do turn around and they're like, oh, seen you did a thing on the BBC the other day, man. That's cool. <laughs> or, oh, Maui, Maui's sister watches your stuff. That sort of That's thing amazing. to me means so much more because it's come from them who might not really get it and are like supportive in that, but they, they don't really get it, uh, which is fine. They don't need to. Different, it's a different world. Um, I might not understand the sort of stuff that they're doing for their, like, you know, or wanting to try and do or what they're passionate about. It doesn't mean I think anything less of it. Um, so I, it does mean a lot when somebody when that sort of thing helps. Mate, that's so rich. Do you remember your first aha moment when you thought, this is why I do what I do? The first moment? Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, uh-huh. I think so. I think, like an act, like a, see now I'm, I'm overanalyzing the way that you said aha, uh-huh, and I'm like, oh, is it like a bingo kind of moment, like a realization, or is it more of a like, oh, this felt good? Um, are they not almost, can they not be the same? They can be, yeah. I'm sure, yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> You're right. I was me who's fucking thinking that there. Uh, yeah, I think the first one was when I did Fringe back in like 2017. Um, with the Ouija stuff, uh, we, we uh, me and the Ouija and that boys did a show and it was a free show. First time we'd ever done Fringe and um, we packed it out every single day to the point where the queue coming up was taking up the fire exit and down the stairs. And it was very competitive because there was all these other free shows that were going on. But we just timed it so well that where we were was right next to Waverley Station in Edinburgh. So I'd figured out very quickly on that the Glasgow train was every 25 minutes that it was coming in. So we would position ourselves about 10, 15 minutes before that and just start leafleting. And people, and because it's free, people will come see free stuff. So we'd be packing it out and and that's before we'd even really showcased like if we were funny or not. And that was a huge, that was a huge moment where I was like, this has got wheels because I'd seen like that many people coming to see this from an early stage. At that moment in time where you, that was, it was still embryonic at that stage, right? How did you manage going from such a high of being surrounded by so many people that were there to see you and what you had to add to them to then going home by yourself like is there almost like a performance post-performance depression or dip after something like that yeah i think it depends on the yeah it depends on like the size of the project um i think for those ones uh not not so much because um back then in particular i was always somebody who was like how can i get bigger how can this get bigger what do I need to do to drive this bigger? Because in my head, great, 60 people each day for the first fringe, that was fantastic. But they didn't pay for it. 
So in my head, that's what I'm thinking about. How can I get them back next year, but they've got to pay for it? So that's that's how my, my brain works. Um, so I'd, I'd never really think like that. I would always be more trying to push to think, how can I keep this going, keep the momentum going? Um, but I, that is something I'm starting to have more of now, though. So like gigs I'll do now, I'll come back after doing a gig um, and I'll be buzzed from it. And I'm like just sat there on my own, do you know what I mean? I felt felt that and I would I was lucky I'm lucky that I've got two other guys that are going through the same thing. Um it might be harder if I'm on my own. But yeah, like well, we we came off like that show in Aberdeen. You you feel buzzed and stuff and then you're you're like, oh well, on to the next. And it is just <laughs> like you gotta keep you feel like you gotta keep the momentum going. It's the same with videos. My video goes super viral. You're buzzed from that. Like you'll keep checking your phone like every two minutes to be like, wow, that's a lot of people this is seeing. You see when that stops, it's like, what do I do now? I need to do another one or I need to try and... So it's about finding a balance, I think, between mm-hmm. how how can you control that in a positive way. And I think it's about who you've got around you to talk about that stuff or who you've got to... Aye. <laughs> uh, yeah, it must be great when you can share the celebrations with other people. Even when I've had nice comments or feedback on this podcast, traditionally it's just me that receives that. And now I feel compelled to share it with Paul who is producing the podcast. And he, he I think he probably recognizes that. And he, he says, good on you, mate. That's amazing. When one of my pod, uh, podcasts went viral on TikTok, he replied to it. And it was so nice for me to share that with someone else. And it must be solacing for you to have mates who are going through the exact same thing to share that celebratory effect. It's huge, man. It's huge. I, I've got a mate, um, one of my best mates. She is smashing it at the minute. She's loads of BBC stuff. Well, she's been smashing it ever since we left uni. Um, but she's always so great to talk to about these things because she's, she's going through it. Um, so whenever a good thing happens, it's always great to chat to her or vice versa and you feel like I, I do I think it can be hard with creative stuff. It's hard in any industry with this thing, but you see somebody is doing all right or like things for that moment in time look like they're going all right. You have to be respectful that everybody's trying to graft. And I had I had to teach I had to tell myself that you shouldn't um disregard somebody's success due to a particular thing so for example if i have a mate who's done something really impressive i can't be like well they only got that because of this or they only got that because of that just to make myself feel better because i didn't because i've not done it you know you have to try and alleviate that and and just be like no they got it because they fucking deserve it and they're good at what they do and i think if you can try and do that it really helps you out like you, you kind of thrive from it. So I, I'm very fortunate. I've got people around me who are doing really well and it's good for me to see them do so well because it makes me want to try and push. Yeah, I, I can see that like in my own self too, to reflect. I work in an organization full of really high performers who have went to Russell Group University, sometimes uh, Oxbridge, and perhaps have had different opportunities in life than me that have led them to where they are. And I find myself comparing myself to them opposed to comparing myself to previous yeah. me yeah. because I've came a, a, a long way and so, so so have you so I guess it must be 
It's such a great message that you compare, you don't compare yourself to other people who are landing opportunities that you have not got yet. Do you do much reflection on how far you've come comparing we Gregor, real we Gregor to big we Gregor now, I guess? Again, only, I only started doing that after lockdown. Um, cause I think lockdown, obviously everything stopped and I, it, I did feel like a completely different person. Like I didn't, I didn't feel like I had any of the things that I wanted to be doing or, or felt good about really. So when I lost that side, like, cause that, that's like the, in, in like the creatives, uh, field it is like, oh, I've got to keep grafting, got to keep going to additions, got to keep doing that, got to keep the boat rolling. I know what I want, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I think when lockdown kind of put into realization that, yeah, there's none of that, mate, like you've got to find something else to do. Um, you kind of, I, I realized I learned to just appreciate more, uh, when something good does happen rather than think like, how is that good thing going to project me into the next thing? Mm-hmm. I've kind of taught myself actually try and enjoy the journey a little bit more and like appreciate each one of those moments. Cause that'll, that will in itself propel you into the next thing that you do. And I think that there's, um, an honest, like I, I find I'm more comfortable with it now that if next week, I mean, I don't want this to happen obviously, but mm-hmm. if next week comes around and it fucking ends, I can still be like, well, it was a fucking good run. Like it was, it was all right. And there's so much I want to do. And, and that, that's not changed. The drive hasn't changed, but the way that I approach it has, uh, I'm, I'm a no race with anybody else or my, indeed myself. I used to think I was. And I used to feel like I have to get things done by a certain age or, or by a certain thing. What I've realized now is actually not about that. It's, it's just, just fucking do it, man. Just do it. Just don't. And, and enjoy it whilst. Yeah. Enjoy while you're doing it if you can. I mean, I, I can say, you know, it's so cool. It's, it's weird. I can tell you that, but I know for a fact, I'm still going to have moments in like a couple of weeks where I'm like, well, I need to get to, I need to do it. You know what I mean? So. Me too, mate. Me too. Yeah. Me yeah. Too. You tell me about the day BBC came knocking. What was your first interaction with them and how did you feel? So it was actually a couple of years ago. Um, I had, I first went in for a meeting a couple of years ago with the guys from the social. Um, and I thought that's when I would start doing sketches and stuff with them. I, I was pretty, I was still, that was only a couple of years ago. I was pretty naive then though. I, I didn't really, um, I don't think I'd quite sussed out the sort of thing I wanted to do. So it didn't really work out then. Um, and BBC, they actually came and saw our show a couple of years ago. And again, like nothing really came from it, but it was nice for them to be there. Um, so yeah, that, that was like the early stages of it. And then lockdown happened, started doing my own stuff and I'd filmed, uh, a short film in November of last year. And the guy that had filmed it, the DOP, uh, so the camera, like, you know, he does all the direction and stuff. He, um, had noticed that I'd started doing like online skits and he was like, oh wow, this is really funny, man. Um, and he got in touch with me and he's like, actually, he, he does stuff for BBC short stuff. Um, and that's like the short form comedy where they commission artists to, you know, write them short form comedy and then they post it on social medias and it's a developing, uh, basically what they do is they develop comics, uh, and writers into trying to get something a bit more full fledged out of them. Um, 
so long term there might be bigger bigger projects and bigger ideas that come out so it's it's, it's like a good developing uh, ground and and they post some like really good stuff on there as well so um he was doing that and he got in touch with me and he's like hey you got any ideas like, listen man, i got loads <laughs> and i said and i said i've got loads that i've also written with bbc in mind because i had pitched before i had tried to to get stuff on there and um Michael Hines is still game yeah, director. Yeah. yeah. So um he's been really good with me and stuff about my skits. I'd written some I tried to write some stuff for his uh Gallic. He did like a Gallic sketch show a few years ago. Um they didn't they didn't really take any of it in the end, but he gave me some really good feedback on it. And he's like, This is very Glasgow, you should try and pitch this on on your own. Um so I gave those ones to the the DOP who got in touch and we managed to get two of them commissioned. And I was like, wow, I've never had that happen before. So yeah, BBC took took on two of the skits and then um, they turned around and they were like, one of these skits is really good. And I managed to get Gary Meikle in it. Um, and he's like, yeah, this gets really good. Could you do more of those? So a week, two weeks later, I, I had like three or four ideas and um, they've taken on three of them. So now we've got another three of those running characters coming out and I'm thinking about how I can expand their world and it's like a dad and a son character and I'm thinking about how I can make them more like diverse and have more scenarios going on and it just kind of all happened it just kind of happened and then I've had some other like random skits I had one about a garden gnome commissioned by them which is going to come out soon hopefully so I'm really excited for um but it's good because it's it's kept me writing and the commissions have kept me like working with them and and on top of the live stuff now back and being in the stand and all these other things that's kept me busy. I've completely forgotten the question. Was that the answer? You, you answered it, mate. Cool, you man. answered Thank it. You. Very, very motivating. If listeners are listening to this and they feel, feel encouraged to kind of embark on that creative side of themselves and they find inspiration in your story, if I were to ask you the question, how do they start? What's the, what's the first step? Um... In your bedroom. My bedroom. In <laughs> <laughs> uh, in a bedroom. Or that was like a smart that was meant to be like a smart way of me saying, um literally just starts from an idea. And that can be anywhere. Doesn't matter who you're talking to or what you're doing. If you have an idea that you think you like, just do it. I would say the era that we're in now, make it available online. That's the way to do it. Putting shows on and stuff is great. That's how I started out. It was just trying to put sh- live shows together. But seeing what the internet does, that's the fucking way to do it, man. You will fast track. If, if that's what you want to do, you, you can make that a lot more. Um, you can use that to your advantage. So, yeah, I, I would say uh, if it's content that you want to do, regardless of what it is, if it's singing, if it's um, writing songs or if it's comp... Yeah, this, yeah, yes. doing a podcast, whatever, just fucking do it. Um, just do it. Was that his, yeah. uh, and be prepared to suck as well. Yeah, I, man. I, I think because people can see the highlights on social media, yeah. because TikTok's such a content roulette, they can stumble across your content and see how many views and likes and stuff it has and feel almost entitled to get the same off the bat. And I almost feel like that as well. When I first posted my first clip to TikTok, I was like, why is this not popping? Why is this uh, no, not popping yeah. off? Yeah. Do you think it's important to suck it first as well when foraying into something like this? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I've got loads of content that's really shit. Um, and I will not hide behind that. Um, and I know I'll continue to produce some really shit content. But it's my shit content. <laughs> and it's that thing of like, well, listen, I'm doing it. You know, I'm trying to do it. Some of them might be rubbish. Some might be great. Um, and again, like we said earlier, you might post some fucking hilarious stuff, but nobody sees it. So I guess consistency is the main thing for anybody starting out. Be consistent. Don't go in with any expectations other than goals. Have goals, but don't expect to get huge reward from stuff. Because I think if you don't, that you will you will surprise yourself that just how, like what happens, you know, if, if it works out. And, and everybody's doing it these days as well. It's becoming really competitive. Um, super competitive. There are like... <laughs> There are a million people doing this sort of stuff. Like this is this isn't original doing sketch and doing like all that on TikTok or on. It's not original. Um, the ideas that I bring to it, I like to think some of them are, but it, a lot of people are doing it. So I would say to anyone, um, particularly wanting to do comedy stuff, know your market, know your market, research the other guys that are doing it, invest in their content, support them, create a network that you want to interact with and you want them to interact with you that is important so be a don't be a cunt right be a fucking good guy be a nice guy right and don't be fake either if you're naturally a cunt that's fine there's good cunts out there be a good cunt (laughs) don't don't be a cunt right pronouncing the t there because the t is very important to differentiate the difference between a good cunt and a cunt (laughs) i'm fucking i'm just whining now anyway yeah so um yeah don't be that uh and just like as you do emerge yourself in fucking stories and emerge yourself in what people are doing and i think that's the way to do it yeah a mic drop moment what a way to wrap up the podcast don't what's next for gregor mckay uh got more shows coming up going back to stand um filming soon more bbc stuff we'll try to get more videos out on social media um do you mean like what do i really want or just what's coming up both yeah, uh, I'd love to be doing bigger shows next time around, so hopefully that will happen. Um, but yeah, just all that stuff, good shows, more content. Amazing. If people want to find it online, where can they find you on social media? Uh, so you can you can get me on Wee Mackay on TikTok or Instagram, but you can also get the sketch group, which is like the cool thing. And they, they, they'd hurt me if I didn't say that. It is the cool <laughs> thing. The, the, the main thing is, is Ouija Hink of that. Uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. What's is there any other social media? TikTok. TikTok. Yeah, course. we're on all those ones, and uh, would highly recommend going to check that out for all the live shows and stuff. Amazing! I'll put all the links in the bio as always. Nope. I'll put links to tickets, all sorts. Thanks for stopping by, mate. What an amazing conversation! Thanks for having me, man. We'll do it again. Yeah, hi, right, let's do it.